0: It's that time again. It's ASGCA Insights, the official podcast of the American Society of Golf Course Architects. And now from our studios in beautiful Brookfield, Wisconsin, it's your host,
1: Mark Whitney. Welcome to ASGCA Insights. My guest today is the president of the American Society of Golf Course Architects, Britt Stenson. Britt, welcome to ASGCA Insights. Thank you, Mark. Glad to be here. Uh, Britt, uh, a land planner, a landscape architect, master planner, project manager, director of construction, director of design. Uh, you've held all of those titles during your career. And We've we, we have a, we've had a number of golf course architects on the podcast since we debuted in 2020. None have had quite the unique career path that you've traveled. Uh, I look forward to learning more about you as we chat today. So let's start at the beginning. Who first introduced you to the game of golf, Britt?
0: Uh, it was my parents. They were, you know, typical, pretty avid country club golfers. Uh, I didn't really take to it until I was about 15, but uh, that summer of my 15th year, I, my batting average was down very low. My eyesight was going, and I said, Let me try this golf thing. And uh, it really bit me hard. It really was. Uh, I spent almost every day, I took a few lessons and and spent every day playing my goal to beat my dad uh, by the end of the summer, which I barely did.
1: And it must've come together pretty well for you because uh, when you uh, matriculated to the university of Virginia, you found yourself on the golf team. In fact, uh, you were captain as well for a couple of years, weren't you?
0: I was, yeah. I, I got, you know, again, very into it in high school and, uh, We had a pretty good high school team. Uh, In fact, we won the Eastern Interscholastics my senior year. So I was progressing pretty quickly on that. And then, you know, UVA uh, was a different world back then. It was non scholarship. Uh, They were glad to have me show up and shoot 75. They didn't really make me come to practice as much, which was a good thing because I was in the architecture school and and, uh, it was a pretty big conflict between afternoon golf and afternoon studio classes
1: and so when uh, th- when you graduated from virginia what was what was the the career path then at that point it sounds like a professional golf was not on the horizon for you
0: no no i was never never felt like that was in the cards i played against some guys that played on tour i mean I, lanny watkins was at wake forest george burns was at maryland uh, jim simons but uh, it was pretty clear that I wasn't going to be, uh, that, <laughs> and those were days when it was pretty hard to, you know, Monday qualifying, it was a pretty scratchy living anyway. But, uh and, and frankly, by the time I got out of my five, it was a five-year program at, at Virginia, the architecture school at the time. And by the time I got done with that, I was kind of yeah, a little tired of golf and I was, intrigued by some of this environmental planning and, and land planning, Ian McCarg kind of stuff that uh, we were doing in class. So I, uh, my first job was as assistant county planner in Fauquier County, Virginia, Warrington, Virginia, just South of DC, <coughs> and uh, doing land planning. And I worked for a professor. Uh, one of my professors had an office there in Warrington and I, I, went over to the private sector and worked with him for a couple of years. And then, of course, uh, I quit my job, much to my wife's chagrin, and uh, played banjo in a bluegrass band. Uh, I guess you'd call it professionally. We played a lot. That was our only job. It didn't bring home a lot of bacon. but I did that for three years with them. We, in fact, the band was together for thirteen years, but three of them were as professionals. We were playing 20, 25 times a month uh, around the D.C. area, Annapolis, uh, Bethesda, all those places.
1: So, with the with the parallel tracks here, uh, where did where did music come into your life? And clearly, uh, a, a segment of your time. Uh, was spent uh, as a professional musician and and with, uh, with career aspirations i'm sure and things of that nature uh, how did that how did that evolution coincide with the with the parallel track of of school at that time
0: well and it, actually the uh the banjo goes back to even a little before i started playing golf so i think i was 13 <clears throat> when i started playing the banjo and you know it was kingston trio and the beverly hillbillies driven uh, so that would have been 1963. Um, and it, it it kind of uh, lingered i didn't really learn much about or advance much until i got to virginia and then i started to run into some other musicians and my senior year my fifth year actually i was living on the lawn at uh, virginia which is kind of the part designed by thomas jefferson And the whole university kind of walks by there on a daily basis. And these guys, I would be in there practicing, maybe playing along with records. And these guys showed up and said, we're starting a band. So I jumped into that. The golf was over. I'd already played my four years of golf. So I was kind of looking for something to occupy some downtime. And, uh, you know, it wasn't so much that I thought, Wow! I really got to do this and become a professional musician, but I did want to kind of give it a try and kind of get to that next stage where uh, you're playing every day. You're very in tune with your guys. Uh, you learn how to play with other people, which is a I've I found is a skill that a lot of people don't have. They they maybe play their instrument and and they can get through a song, but to do it in a group setting where you're kind of listening and playing at the same time was a pretty good skill to have acquired. So by the end of that three years, uh, it was pretty clear to me that I didn't want to get on the used bus and start traveling up and down. And and, uh, that was going to be my living. Um, So, and by that time I was kind of getting back into golf a little bit. Um, and I went and, and uh, interviewed for a job with a big architecture engineering firm up in Washington D.C., uh, actually Montgomery County, and got the job. I think in part because the guy was a the guy who ran the office was a uh, avid golfer, and he saw in my resume that I'd been captain of the golf team for two years. So he thought that was pretty cool. Uh, so yeah, the the golf has kind of ebbed and flowed a little bit. Uh, certainly since then i've been i've been pretty into it Um, and it was something that i wanted to do but i didn't really have a clue of how to get started in it and certainly the landscape program at uva was fairly new it 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 didn't have anything to do with golf Uh, but it did teach you how to look at a big piece of property and understand the drainage topography and soils and vegetation and views and all the stuff that is important for a golf course designer as well.
1: I'd like to just uh, touch one more time on on the musical side before we uh, delve more into the architecture side mm-hmm. um it, it's interesting the game of golf is such an individual game and the college game of golf uh is is perhaps the most consistently team oriented aspect of of the of the, the game itself. Right. In terms of being a musician, you talked about being somebody who can play an instrument and maybe get through a song, but you talked about uh, clearly sort of the, the, the camaraderie that takes place uh, when you're on stage with a group of musicians. Um, what was What's that feeling like uh, when you're up there with a group, especially a group that you played with over a number of years, uh, and to just feel that and sense that teamwork and camaraderie. Uh, and I imagine that's something you probably haven't felt anywhere else.
0: I, it was uh, for sure. Uh, it was great. Uh, you know, you really get in sync with the other guys. As I said, you you kind of have to learn how to listen and play at the same time. And, and we, you know, we were working really hard on our vocals, trying to blend three-part harmony uh and we got pretty tight we did we had an album come out uh we that did fairly well in the dc area we uh we were on radio broadcasts at wamu and in, in washington american university had a regular bluegrass show and then we played on that several times so we we got to be pretty well known we weren't quite the seldom seen or the country gentlemen, but uh, who were also kind of DC area bands, but we were well known in the DC area. And that was, it was terrific, I think, but it just wasn't something, I'm not a guy that's got to be on stage. And I think the other guys in the group were a little shocked and and disappointed when I said, you know, that's enough for me for this full-time stuff. I don't mind. Let's do it part-time, but I think they were more uh, eager to pursue it as a career than I was.
1: Well, most importantly, can can we find that album on eBay or Amazon these days? You can. It's Coup de Grass.
0: You can find that. You can find selections on Reverb Nation uh, website and some YouTube stuff. But Coup de Grass, C-O-U-P, small D-E, and then grass. Everybody mispronounces it. We tried to get a name that none of the bar owners would be able to pronounce. So it was always (laughs) Coup de Gras, or they do whatever they could to butcher it, but it was Coup de Gras. We thought that was very clever.
1: So you're working uh, landscape architecture outside of D.C., and uh, how does the entree back into the golf world uh, happen professionally?
0: Well, and it really was being in the right place at the right time. I was in charge of our planning department uh, in the Montgomery County, Maryland, which was a busy, active, growing place at the time. This was, this would be 1979. Uh, and I, I was doing all kinds of uh, different land planning, but one of our best, clients and best projects was Avenel, A-V-E-N-E-L. And uh, it the the Washington, the the, uh, DC utilities, the water company, the sewer company wanted a site fairly near the Potomac River. So it had a a good outfall uh, where they could someday, if they needed it, do a sewage treatment plant. And this was a beautiful piece of property, a horse farm in Potomac, Maryland. So kind of high dollar country, just west of DC, but 10 miles from the White House. And was a great location. And it was an 800 acre, 850 acre farm, right across the street from Congressional Country Club. Uh, And Dean Beeman wanted badly to have a TPC course in the DC area. You know, this was right when he was trying to get a lot of TPC courses done. And he came up there uh, and and we came up with a plan. I was in charge of the master plan for the project. We came up with a plan that uh, had the potential treatment plant, about 100 acres in the middle. Right now, it's barns and kind of looks like a horse farm. Uh, But then around that, we were going to put the golf course as much as possible, and then around beyond that, and we were going to use that as a buffer, kind of a green space around this treatment plant. Uh, the treatment plant, if it ever got built, would be would look like a horse farm. It would be a series of barns and, and large farm building looking buildings. Uh, so we, uh, and then we put 850 dwelling units around that. So we had. Clusters. It was a plan unit development. It was a very complex thing. Tom Clark, also a member, did the golf course design, uh, and uh, worked with us on on getting the master plan. Uh, I got to know the tour guys, particularly Vernon Kelly, who was really in charge of TPC construction. I got to know them through that process pretty well, and uh, it was a very complicated. Zoning. In fact, uh, Tim Fincham, the future commissioner, was part of the legal team that was pushing this thing through uh, uh, Montgomery County Planning Commission. So it was a long, a complicated approval process, but
1: <clears throat>
0: but did result in 850 homes, so one per acre, plus the golf course, plus the reservation of about 100, 125 acres in the middle for the sewage treatment plant. And by the time I got through with that approval process, I was very much back into golf. And I, I just uh, said to Vernon one day, you know, if you want a project manager, I'd love to do that. I uh, didn't even know what that meant really, but. Um, <laughs> so he said, okay, let's do it. So I spent the next two years in the construction trailer from 84 to 86 building the course. I went, you know, I was in charge of the project. He also said, well, here's this guy, Dave Postalwaite. He's done some work for us, uh, other TPC courses, Plum Creek and, uh, Scottsdale, and he's going to be your construction manager. So David knows how to build a golf course. He's done a lot of courses with Pete Dye, uh, did several TPC courses. And, uh, so we spent the next two years in the trailer building, building the course. Uh, which was enlightening to me, for sure. I had uh, no clue. You know, I thought I knew pretty well how to read topography and, and understand understand drainage and all that, because I'd been doing plenty of residential and commercial design. Uh, but you know, golf's a little bit unique, uh, so I picked up a lot of stuff from him.
1: And you mentioned a number of names that that our listeners will recognize with the, from from the PGA Tour with Tim Fincham and and Dean Beeman. Mm-hmm. Uh, you wind up moving on and working with the, with PGA Tour. How how did that come about, and was this was it a position there that had previously existed uh, before you came on board?
0: Not really. Uh, you know, you had Vernon Kelly who was in charge of all the TPC network, uh, and then you had. I named pete davison who was in charge of actually operating the network and, and you know uh, overseeing all the club pros and the club managers that kind of thing but vernon had a construction background and he was looking for somebody uh, to come help him in pontevedra to uh do other tpc courses they had four or five of them kind of in the pipeline that they were trying to get approved and uh So they offered me the job and in 86, I moved my wife again. She had already put up with me quitting my job to be a bluegrass musician. And then she's, then I come in and say, well, I want to move to Ponte Vedra, Florida, Jacksonville. And she looks at me like, what? I love DC. We want to stay right here. But she understood it was an important move for me career wise. And uh, we had our first first and second children, excuse me, our, our son and our daughter uh, at that point. Um, so she was not working. So she uh, acquiesced and we went on down to Ponte Vedra. We were there for five years doing other TPC courses. First, uh, I guess, Memphis and uh, Dearborn and uh, where else, Piper Glen in, in Charlotte. Um, and then, finally, Dean Beeman said, because uh, there was another guy there, that Bobby Weed, who's a member of our society. And uh, Bobby had been working with Pete Dye quite a lot and, and worked on the valley course, the second course at Pontevedra, uh, really fine-tuning that with Pete in the ground. And so the Dean wanted Bobby to be able to design some golf courses, and he let us design them in house. So we did um, TPC at Summerlin, TPC at River Highlands up in Connecticut, TPC at Tampa Bay. And then we did a, a public course for Jacksonville, a couple of public courses down in Miami area. Uh, so again, I didn't really know what I was doing, but it was fabulous experience uh, traveling around. And, and you know, Bobby was mostly in the field uh, along with this guy Dave Postalweight that I mentioned doing TPC courses. And uh, I did a lot of the drawings.
1: My guest is ASGCA President Britt Stinson. Uh, a, a nice five-year run, to say the least, at the, with the PGA Tour. But in, in 91, you left that behind and began what, what would become a 25-year relationship with the folks at IMG, uh, an, another unique position. So how did that begin? And what was your expectation walking into that role?
0: Well, again, I just have this habit, I guess, of being in the right place at the right time. But uh, I was uh, at a kind of a college reunion with my fraternity brother and up in D.C., we were, I mean, up in New York, we were going to watch Virginia play Notre Dame at the Meadowlands in kind of a season football kickoff. And he organized, a, he was a member at Baldistral, so he organized a little outing for probably eight, eight guys a couple of foursomes at roll in the afternoon then we came back to his house and and showered and and uh, went to the game and I was one of the first guys out of the shower I guess so I got I was sitting on the porch having a beer with Bob Kane who was at the time pretty big shot at IMG in the tennis division he was Chris Everett's manager uh and Was Back when IMG, he went straight from Virginia. He had been a captain of the tennis team when I was captain of the golf team. So we knew each other a little bit, but we didn't really know each other well. But so we're there and he's talking about IMG wanting to have an in-house golf course architect to work with Faldo and Norman and a couple other guys who had been saying, you know, we want to design some courses too. And IMG was thinking, you know, instead of having them create their own company and worry about payroll and worry about contracts and everything else. Why don't we just do some things in-house, get an in-house architect and, and work with these guys, uh, just find them, find them jobs, give them give them a taste of it without them really having to commit to it. Obviously you had Arnold Palmer and Gary player already had their shops and their IMG clients. Uh, I said, well, I've got a pretty good job at the PGA tour, but you know, I'd be glad to talk to you. And then I, that was September, Labor Day. So I heard nothing uh, and I thought, well, that didn't happen. Uh, And then in December, about December, I don't know, 15th or something, I get a call from a guy at IMG, Andy Pierce, who says, we'd like you to come up and talk to us about this job. So I flew up to Cleveland and uh, met a lot of people Talked about the job. They said, "Well, go back and write up what you think the scope of services is, and uh, let's see let's see what happens then." So I did that and said, So you that,
1: crafted your own job description.
0: Crafted my own job description. Sent that back to them, and heard nothing. Uh, so I said, "Well, that didn't happen." So then, about March fifteenth. I get a call back from Andy Pierce. He said, well, we'd like you to start April 1st. There you go. (laughs) And I thought, well, darn. Um, And he said, in fact, we'd like you to come uh, to Turnberry. McCormick, Mark McCormick, uh, the head of IMG, is having a kind of a world conference. And uh, we'd like to introduce you there at that side. And at the time, uh, we were struggling on the to side to get some projects approved. We had one in Ventura, California that was too environmentally sensitive. We had one in San Diego that didn't happen. We had one up in Seattle that didn't happen at that point. Nicholas finally did did one um, at Snoqualmie on a um, similar piece of ground, maybe the same piece of ground. But we were struggling getting new projects in the pipeline. And I just thought, well, maybe this is my time to kind of do things more, uh, you know, just be a lot busier. Uh, A lot of people thought I was kind of nuts. Uh, A lot of people who thought you're moving to Cleveland from Jacksonville, you can walk to the driving range at the TPC at Sawgrass right now. and, And they're going to go up and live at the mistake on the lake there. What's, what are you thinking about? So, but my wife, Kate uh, and I both grew up more in the north. We kind of missed the seasons, missed the nice fall, missed the long summer uh, days when you could go play a little t-ball or, or golf after, after dinner even. Um, so she was excited about moving back up there, and we did it.
1: Um, So while with IMG, you're working with a number of the most recognizable names in golf, you've already mentioned a few of them, but Nick Faldo and Mark O'Mara, Colin Montgomery, Bernhard Langer, Annika Sorenstam. When these projects come about, how does your role change depending upon who you were working with? Mm,
0: Not so much, really. Uh, It didn't change that much. You know, the problem with all of the signature designers, if you will, is that the the people who want them, especially in Asia, which is where most of our work, almost all of our work was, um, they want the hot number one golfer at the time, which means you gotta try to squeeze it into their schedule, which is not so easy. They, you know, those guys are playing a lot of golf and doing a lot of, exhibitions and all kinds of things. You know, IMG always got criticized because they would get somebody very busy when they were world number one or up there. Um, so time was a problem. So I would have to make a pretty strong effort in the beginning to go to them, maybe at their home, maybe at a course where they're playing on a, you know, on a Tuesday or something, practice round, and go over plans with them. You know, none of them really knew how to read topography or uh, or understand kind of how to route a golf course, but they certainly understand golf strategy. They understand playing with the entire range of golfers from the very best in the world to guys in a pro-am that really shouldn't be out there probably. Um, and so they brought a lot to the table that way but time was really the enemy. Uh, we couldn't get them to Asia to make a lot of site visits. Um, and that was true with all of them. I think the only one that really made all the site visits he wanted was Mark O'Meara when we did a two-hay course out for Talisker out in the Park City, uh, because he had a home out there. And if he's not on the tour playing golf, he's out there either skiing in the winter or he's fly fishing in the summer. And, he probably made 30 visits during, he made more visits than I did during construction. And that was great. He could just stop in and say hi and go look at what they were doing. That was terrific.
1: But so every golf thing. course design is going to be different uh, based on location or the climate or a hundred other factors that come into play. Mm-hmm. And the, but there are also attributes that a golf course architect brings to each project that are consistent to him or her and how they do things. So were you able to, uh, for lack of a better word, stensonize projects that you were working with, with these professional athletes?
0: Well, I think in, in so much as the, the routing is concerned, uh, it was very much my take on the routings and, and I'm kind of a minimalist. I really wanted the, property to tell me as much as possible Uh, but we had unlike some architects uh, some that are doing some beautiful work these days we were not picky about sites our a lot of our mission was to find work for these pros and uh, we often had some pretty mediocre sites in Asia Um, but if the, if it's a good site, I think certainly I, you know, my routings were the most personal part of the whole thing. And then I would try not to get my ego too much in the way and go with their bunker style, go with their green, uh, philosophy. Uh, you know, you had some guys who wanted to make things very tough. You had some guys like, like O'Meara who wanted to make things uh, very playable for people. Um, so you try to get as much of that of their philosophy into the course as you can, but um, really the routing uh, is, and really the early conceptualizing of the of the holes uh, was the part where I felt I had the most
1: to say. And now Britt, you serve as, as ASGCA president. When you first started attending ASGCA meetings, Was there a member or two that you really wanted to meet, or were there any individuals who really had an influence on you over time?
0: Uh, yeah, good question. Uh, Oddly, uh, one of the ones I wanted to meet was this guy named John LaFoy, uh, because I'd been told I, I was my brother, excuse me, my son dated a girl in Greenville, South Carolina. He met at a writing camp, uh, at, uh, Oberlin college, I guess in the summer. And I was sitting, I I went to go collect him, uh, from Greenville and I was sitting on a porch of his girlfriend's father playing my banjo. I don't know why I had my banjo at the time, but I did. And this guy, this neighbor walked by and he said, you know, it became clear that I was, you know, a, a golf course architect. And he said, you know, I know a golf course architect who plays the banjo, and I, I thought, well, that was pretty cool. I, I thought maybe I was the only one. So he said, uh, uh, you know, this guy, John LaFoy, lives right here in Greenville. So I was anxious to meet John LaFoy, and he was so welcoming. And we, as you know, we've played together at uh, a lot of our annual meetings. That's been a whole lot of fun. Um you know, there were other guys I knew, um, but I—I'm sure I was about as clueless as anybody who's joined the society in terms of who I really wanted to meet. And in uh...
1: that—that uh, th- ability of members to get together each year for several days, um, share uh, stories, share experiences, learn from each other and then to go out and compete oftentimes against each other for jobs and projects and things of that nature. Uh, it, it's a unique aspect that folks from outside ASGCA uh, to look at with, with a bit of amazement sometimes.
0: Oh, I agree. I think it's, uh, it's pretty unique because the camaraderie is profound and the competition is often very keen. You know, one of the reasons I wanted to join ASGCA was uh, Kind of self-defense for IMG. I wanted we we were occasionally getting comments like, "Well, they're not even architects," you know, the whole signature thing, and so I wanted the credibility that being a member of the society would bring uh, to our program at IMG, and it, I think it certainly did. Uh, but you're right; it's a, a very unique organization in that way. I mean, it's uh, there are a lot of very. close friends, uh, you know, with everybody's got very close friends in the society.
1: And we have just a couple of minutes left, Britt. I just wanted to to touch on uh, one of the emphasis that you have placed not only on your presidency, but in your work is sustainability. And I want to touch on that for a moment. You've talked about minimalist design concepts and creation of diverse landscapes and habitats. That will help to allow golf courses to thrive in a climate-challenged future. Uh, sustainability has that been top of mind really since your career began?
0: Well, to the to the effect that the, the, the minimalist thing has been, I just always thought, you know, if you've got a, a nice piece of land, don't try to overpower it with your ego. Try to try to fit in as well as you can, and and really uh, let the site do the talking as much as possible. And I think. A lot of the uh, really popular architects these days are doing exactly that. Um, You know, sustainability is a tricky thing because it's it's so important, but it's also the response to what we're supposed to do is very regional and and really even local. Uh, And, uh, you know, I just want the society the architects to keep it front and center. I just think uh, going forward, it's going to be ever more important. Uh, and I, I like what we've done here recently to join with the European Institute of Golf Course Architects and the Australian Society of Golf Course Architects to, uh, well, I said that wrong, the Society of Australian Golf Course Architects. But uh, what we've done there to, to keep, keep sustainability front and center, share ideas, share approaches. uh, And uh, there's no one solution. You're not going to, like you said, every course is different in in the regions. It's a much different approach to water use in in the West than there is in the East or in China in the North versus the South. So you just have to really uh, learn your environment and and respond to it. You just got to keep it front and center in your design process, I
1: think. My guest has been ASGCA President Britt Stenson. Britt, thank you for your time today.
0: Glad to be, uh, to, to be there for you. Uh, I'll look forward to more of these.
1: That wraps up this episode of ASGCA Insights. I'm Mark Whitney. You can find past episodes of this podcast and more information about golf course architecture at asgca.org or download insights from Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Thank you for listening, and until next time, so long.